borrowing confidence is basically other people in your life are going to see you, see you in a way that you don't see yourself. And these are in the DMs you get, the text messages, the emails, the random video someone records when someone's giving a toast about you that you can go back and reference so you can remind yourself not just of who you are, but who you, you are becoming and to feel that confidence and to borrow it until you actually own it yourself. Hello, hello. Welcome to Tuckered Out with me, Ami Tucker. Today is my second interview for my South Asian Authors You Should Know and Love series. And I am absolutely in love with my guest today. I've been following her on social media for a while and was so lucky to catch her for this interview. Could not be more grateful for her generosity and her time. Hitha Palapu is a entrepreneur, author, speaker, and the CEO of Roshan Pharmaceuticals. She is the author of We're Speaking, The Life Lessons of Kamala Harris, and How to Pack, Travel Smart for Any Trip. Hitha lives in NYC with her hubby and two sons. And uh, here's a few tidbits I learned about her during our interview. First, she loves Taco Bell, but may love Mr. T even more. She not only shares advice that we all need to hear, she tells me exactly what kind of luggage I need to buy next. You have no idea, guys, how long I've been looking. This has saved me hours and hours of research. So thank you, my friend. We also decided that Vanderpump Rules is going to save our society. You know what? It's all going to make sense once you hear our conversation. I hope you guys enjoy my interview with Hitha Palapu. I'm going to ask you like a very white question. Pronounce your name. Hitha. Hitha Palapu. Palapu, the last name. I know a lot of our brown people, but this one, yours is unique. Thank you. I'll tell my parents. That's amazing. No, I mean, in the best way possible. Okay, so this is not your married, you didn't change your name. No, I didn't. My husband's last name is Nara Simmon, and I'm like, mm, not going to deal with that. Hyphenating that would be fun. No. No. I'm just, no. no. Palapu I'm- hitters. Nope. Can't even do it. <laughs> just going to stick with the Palapu. <laughs> yes. I uh, didn't change mine either. I've been called Tucker my whole life. Hence the name Tuckered Out. I know, it's, it's genius marketing. And my husband's last name is Ravel, and it's not even that hard. And I'm like, you know what? No, no need to elongate it. It's all good. So first of all, happy belated birthday. I've done my research Thank on you. you. I've done my LinkedIn research, my Instagram research, and then whatever articles I could find. And I did buy your book, which of course we're going to talk <gasps> Thank about. Thank you, yes. I'm gonna tell you the story. I'm going to tell you the story behind that. My girls actually found, I have a nine and six-year-old. So happy birthday, last year of your 30s. Yes. I promise you. And I I'm, I have a feeling you're not... I'm excited for the 40s. I'm excited. It's like... So I don't, I don't have to give you my tidbits. No, I'm excited. I'm just like, honestly, the longer time goes, the more I like who I am. And it's a really great feeling. So I'm just here for more of that. Okay. You're ahead of the game. I just the other last thing I wanted to tell you about the 40s is I've never physically felt better. I know that's weird. I mean, there's things, awesome. there are things that are cracking a little bit. We'll get into that too. But yeah, so I'm not going to tell you the 40s are better because you already know. But enjoy it <laughs> last year for sure. So the story behind finding your book. So usually, you know, Amazon.com, you get it. I know we, we kind of said, like, confirmed this like a week ago. As usual, mom life, 
podcast life, author life. Things are crazy. And I, on Thursday, was like, oh, shit, I need to get her book and read it because I can't interview her without reading it. And so I was like, you know what? Why don't we actually go to the store and buy it? Never, I haven't done that in a while. So, was there a copy? So we went to Barnes and Nobles. I was like, let's go and smell the books. I was, I was thinking <laughs> library, but I was like, I want to buy to support. I'm always about supporting. So let's go to Barnes and Nobles. And, you know, I asked them, do you know what section your book is in? It depends on every single Barnes and Noble. They have seen it in different sections. Like I've seen it in some personal development. I've seen it in some politics. It can, it's like all over the place. Multicultural stories, like. Right, right. So this was in, can you guess for Texas where it was in? Multicultural stories. <laughs> That's where I first went. That's what I thought. I was like, I'm in Texas. What else? It was under personal growth. Oh, so, yeah. I like that. Yeah, it was. So I went to the section. It was, and I was like, first of all, I haven't bought a book from a store in a long time. So I was like. Is this alphabetical order? Like, how does this work? I felt like an idiot. I was like, huh? My nine-year-old was like, mom, I'll find it. And while I was looking like an idiot, like trying to find, figure out like this system, I saw Jay Shetty's book. I saw Lily Singh's book. I saw, I wrote down three other, there was five Indian authors just in the few minutes I was scanning. And then my nine-year-old found your book in like eight seconds. And it was the only copy there. I got the last one. So I don't know, I sold it, whatever it is. Yay, yeah. I'll um, take it. Yeah. <laughs> But what I was going to say is, we know there's South Asian authors and we're coming out there, we're speaking up. But I think seeing it all on the shelves, I was like, holy shit, we're awesome. It really is special. It is special. And there was a, definitely a few more names, but I had to go get uh, Ramona Quimby books after that, so I couldn't stay. But A classic, classic. classic. Love Ramona. I was Ramona. I think I Are still am. Yeah, I am too. I'm just a grown Ramona. I just remember never combing my hair. So I'm like, that's definitely me. <laughs> Hence the hat. Always the hat. Always the hat. This is like my one look and that's it. Yeah, that's my one look, but my hair has like bell in it right now. So I'm like, well, oh, that's what God, I, I should. Yeah, I'm trying. Michelle Ranavath. I'm just, she's like, put, put oil. I'm like, okay, girl, I'm trying. I'm trying. Do you know the trick on how to wash your hair to get all the oil out? Like you shampoo your head upside down to get the back of your head first, then you rinse, and then you do the top of your head and then rinse? I feel like I should know that. Like my daddy or ba did that to me, but I completely forget. Because when I was in India growing up, like going to visit, they would like do my comb, like brush my hair for me and everything and like scrub the shit out of it, right? That's what I do. I just have one of those little scrubby brushes now. Yeah. And like, also now my girls like scrubbing my hair for me. So they put the tell in for me. I know. I know. I know you have two boys, which everyone has pros and cons, my friend, but the girls right now. My boys love to have tell done to that. They're like, I want skincare after their baths. And I'm like, sure. You know what? Aww, Great. Good for you. You will, you will never ask your partner, your skin cream costs how much? Because yes. you'll be the one buying some for yourself and for them. So I'm good with this. You are teaching them well, my friend. <laughs> I really like it. We'll have to get the kids together. They can put them on each other's hair. That'll be a session. Oh my God. That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it would be. Michelle can like teach everyone. It'll be awesome. Done. Whenever I have an event in New York, we'll do that. Okay. So yes, I just want to let you know that that was kind of cool to see all that. And then, and I'm not saying this because I'm interviewing you and this is going to be published, but I probably got eight to 10 texts from friends just today. I just posted on, you know, stories or whatever saying how excited they were to hear from you. Just letting you know. Oh, why not? You. Why not tell you? I think, it, you know, you should feel good oh, about it. Yes. You're going to have to send me this little clip so I could just keep it in my little hype file. So that yes. way I just 
I know. Wait, your height files on my question stuff. So this is okay, great. <laughs> okay. So, you know, in my Instagram research, I learned a few things about you. One, I didn't even know what Wawa was until you wrote about it. Wah, and I was wah, like, wah. what is, is this just New York? What is this? No, it's a Philly thing. It's a Philly oh, thing. Oh, God. Not a New York thing. And I, I like roll around. Like I have my Wawa water bottle that's like so faded and like, like are they sponsoring apart. you because they should no but i am on their gifting list and okay. that to me is more than enough like i'm just i'm happy to get like a wawa sweatsuit and wawa merch during hoagie fest like i'm very happy this is amazing and you know like in gujarat at least in gujarat they say wawa like you know wawa. i know wawa. my parents okay. my parents are telugu and they do the same Every time I'm visiting my parents, they're just like, oh, you're going to go to Vava today for lunch. I'm like, Vava. Yes, there's, so girl... many, there's so many good Adi jokes with that, though. I know. <laughs> your girl needs a hoagie and to sit in her car and eat it while she listens to a podcast. All right. Well, so I looked it up. I'm so glad I learned about Wawa. <laughs> this is very exciting. Vava. I know. Sorry. I'm going to kill this joke till it just beat, it's it, all good. beat, it, beat it to death. The other thing I found out about you is that you are an F1 fan, which maybe I'm being stereotypical. Not many Indian chicks I know are. So how did you get into it? One. And then two, will you be attending F1 in Texas this year? I got into F1 because of Drive to Survive, like many, many new fans, especially American fans. I actually, I was speaking at a conference in Canada last spring. And we were had a small group dinner and we, I kind of, the question I prompted to everybody is what's something you discovered in the pandemic that you were going to keep as a part of your post pandemic life. And one woman at the table mentioned she got very into formula one and she described drive to survive as it's selling sunset, but cars and like the business of F1 is as fascinating as the races and the drivers themselves. And I was like, that's a cool angle because I actually appreciate that both sides of it. If it's just about racing, I didn't think I would be as interested. So on my flight home from Vancouver, I like binged the first season and then I was hooked. Yeah. I was like, I am an Alex Albin girly <laughs> that I realized he got cut and I got mad. And so now he's at Williams. And I also liked Williams from the beginning because Claire Williams was the only female principal running a team and so family run business which i just find so many parallels for so now that he's there i'm yes a williams girly okay also love mercedes and think toto is hilarious love lewis you have to teach me all this stuff because it's so much fun yes. so this fall i'm trying to kind of take things slower and okay. i just know between the kids back to school and halloween Diwali, thanksgiving christmas yes. and trying to go to India for Christmas. I am like, I need to, I need to stay home totally. and not say your nose, say your nose. Say no. Yes. So this year, and I also just didn't get my act together to get grid passes or whatnot. So I'm going to plan on doing like the American Grand Prix in Austin next year for sure. And the Vegas race just looks like it's going to be so much fun, but yes. I don't want to do that first. So okay. Let's okay. See that, let's if anything happens, I will be there, and we are gonna hang uh, out. If you, yeah, anything it, changes with your schedule, because I started thinking about F one. My favorite podcast is Armchair Expert uh, by Dax Shepard. Like I don't miss an episode, and because of him, I'm like I started getting interested in this and want to go, even though I don't know shit about it. So I gotta watch Drive to Survive first, and then you do. But I'm yeah. gonna just tell you, don't you don't need to watch. 
in order. Like you don't need to go back and watch the 2018 or 2019 season. Just jump right into the last season. So last year, 2022. Good to know. All but right, also well. there are some great romance. There's like a romance novel series called Dirty Air based on Formula One. That's also a great, it's a great read. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like that. Hey, I need that rom, not rom-com, but the romance stuff too. Oh, I like it. It's fairly well written. I enjoyed it. And girl, I've definitely been selling Sunset. I will fully, I'll fully admit all that crap. I don't even care. It's fine. I need, I need a brain drain. But I also want to know, it's, men are celebrated for watching SportsCenter for hours. What is the difference when we watch Housewives or Selling Sunset or there? It's all mental release valves. They're all, our brains can only handle it's so much. It's because females are doing it. That's it. That's it. Screw yeah, y'all. That's a whole, whole other, yeah, no, seriously, seriously, screw y'all. Anyway, uh. <laughs> but it's funny because when I'm watching Housewives, my husband will be like standing on the steps uh-huh. for like 20 minutes just sort of watching. Uh, and so yeah. I'm like, you know, you could just come and stay. Yeah, and this, like, what ha- this is what happened to me when I was watching Sex Life. I was like, I'm not watching this with you. And oh. I would see him peering. I was like, homie, no, this is just not... <laughs> Not happening, dude. It's not with you. It's not meant to be a partner thing. It's meant to be me thinking about just mm-hmm. life in general. And I love you. Jai Krishna. It's fine. <laughs> Speaking of relationships, the other thing I loved researching about you in my intense Instagram research was your relationship meetings. Our husbands uh, have a lot in common, meaning social media less, which I love that you said that because each their own to each their own. Obviously, I'm on social media. You are. Men can be too. There is something about the fact that he is not on it that gives me some kind of peace. And not because anything bad's going to happen. I just love the fact that he doesn't care. I find it to be such a healthy boundary for us because he's not on it. Anytime I get like, oh my God, do you see who's following me? Da, 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 da. He doesn't care. And therefore, it puts things into context. Like, yes, I can be excited, but it's not everything. And what matters is him and the boys and being present for the moments and of just the magic of this family life in this chapter, which we're not going to get again. So I appreciate that it's become a very firm boundary that helps me live my life offline versus constantly documenting it. Yes, totally. I mean, I will have to sometimes ask my husband too. I'm like, can you please like this or like anything? He's like, oh God, (laughs) something, some kind of support. Um, No, but I love that. And then the last thing in my research that I think we need to make happen is I I know a lot of amazing events happen in New York City with South Asian Mm -hmm. creatives and and blah, blah, blah. We need to make it happen at Taco Bell. We really do. Don't you I think it'd be awesome to have like a fancy South Asian event at Taco Bell? I want them to like sponsor like a Diwali Mela at like the yeah. Pacifica location, like <laughs> overlook it, like it's on the beach outside of San Francisco. I mean, don't you think everyone and their mother would want to come? Yes. But I also, because it's Taco Bell, I want this to be like a national inclusive thing. Like you find local leaders and creators to host it in all over the country. Because, by the way, most of those Taco Bells are owned by uncles. Yeah. And the uncles we know. like, Or the uncle or uncle, other uncle that knows that uncle. Yeah. Or an auntie. I'm sure there's an auntie in there somewhere. Listen, Rakesh Uncle owns most of the Taco Bells in Dallas <laughs> and in the Bay Area. Let's do this. I'm telling so, you. I'll just give him a call and be like, Rakesh Uncle, 
Do you want to collab? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like they would do it. Dude. <laughs> I think the collab uh, could happen. Uh, anyway, I just thought it was a genius idea and, and we should discuss this later. Okay. The book. We're speaking. So, of course, I've read articles about it. I know that you had been kind of writing this virtual notebook, right, for nine, ten years on Kamala-isms. And you were just always fascinated with her and her work, starting, you know, all the work she did in California. You kind of were writing a book but didn't know it. So the, the intention originally for this was just to, like, help guide your own life and journey? Yeah, it was really kind of a being mentored from afar kind of guidebook that I had put together on, you know, studying her, following her, and then adapting things she did that worked for me because I like dresses, not so much a pantsuit girly, although I do love a pantsuit moment here and there. And I can't be if I'm on at a negotiating table and I want them to take my product real bad. I can't have the kind of forcefulness that she had in Senate hearings or in political debates that to be effective in my own work. But what I could do was look at how she researched, how she prepped certain questions, how she guided a conversation and study that and practice how to do it the same for myself. So in many ways, this book, I had been writing it for a decade before I actually got approached to write, write it by a publisher. But then I had like two and a half months to write it, which is insane. That's what I read. You wrote it in two months. I was like, Jigga, what? And I figured, obviously, you had all these notes. But still, to put that into book format and then to get other women to write the essays, and that must have been insanity. I am not recovered, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. It was. Oh. I will also, like, to be fully, like, transparent... My editorial lead for Five Smart Reads came on board as a research associate for the book. She handled a lot of the citations, the, the sources list. She coordinated release forms and managed all the interviews that we did and the essays that were contributed. So she was a godsend. I mean, of course, you ha have to have help. You have to have help. This is not a small book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of great information in there. So I got to give... Tabor her flowers because I could not have created this book without her. And she's just amazing. And on the home front, my husband was in the middle of a sabbatical at that time. He completely took the lead at home. I saw the kids in the morning during breakfast. And then I holed up in my little like cave and wrote from morning till like 2 a.m. most days. And he would bring up my sweet green salads. He would bring up water. He would make sure I was fed and like caffeinated and nourished. And he just took such good care of all of us that again, could not have done that without him just completely taking the lead. And there were, these was, you know, this was still during COVID. There were plenty of times where the kids were home. So he was running Zoom schooling or waiting for a caregiver to come in. Sometimes the caregivers couldn't come in because of snow and juggling two feral children at home, one that's got to be on Zoom and another that's just running around wild and did it without me even knowing. Like I look back now and I'm just like, how did you do it? And he goes, the way you blocked out that book writing process, I've just blocked that out too. Yeah, he's, he's, it was he's survival. he might have some PTSD from that. Well, A, kudos to your hubby because... All husbands or partners should be doing that for sure. 
And I think besides him letting you, physically letting you have your space and do that, the one thing I'm sure you know, I know, is that mom guilt that is so fucking hard to shake off. And so the fact that he did all of that and then allowed you to feel free of that guilt, I think is key. Otherwise, that mom guilt eats into your work. Yeah, I actually don't remember feeling guilty during that time. I felt many other emotions, but guilt is something I just didn't feel. One, maybe I just didn't have the capacity to feel guilt during that time because as I was writing the book, I was in diligence and negotiating a term sheet for our licensing agreement. So like, I just did not have any capacity, bandwidth, anything to do anything besides the two big work projects I had. I had more guilt when I was on book tour because I was away for so much. I was like away for just weeks at a time. And I felt bad about that because I think when I was home, there was a sense of, well, I'm at least home. Like I'm here. They just know you're not physically far away. Exactly. Right, right. I know. Look, at the end of the day, I think it's just somehow built into us. Who knows why? Um, But to get relief from it at certain points is a gift. And so kudos to him for doing that. So I got through most of it. I I read, I took the kids to Barbie last night and then I read, read, read as much as I could. It resonated with me in so many ways. I think we're both parents and we're both, you know, kind of in the same phase of life. And both of us have had many, many different roles. And I think a lot of women do now, you know, nowadays. And so I just want to kind of highlight some of my favorite areas of the book. The chapter of owning her multitudes. I just like the way you phrase that because I'm always like, I'm a lawyer, right? I'm a writer. I'm a, I did, I did go to DJ school, so I put it in there. I'm a podcast. You know, all of these multi-hyphenates, which I feel like now is a lot more common, accepted, even like desired. But I think you put it very nicely on how to manage that. I wanted to ask you, we talked about this just about five minutes ago, but your hype file. What is in your hype file right now? And can you explain that to people? My friend Dara coined this term and like it was such an offhand thing that she did on an Instagram story. And I was like, girl, this needs to be real. This needs to be a newsletter. You need to build on this called borrowing confidence. And basically it's there are going to be moments in all of our lives over the course of our lives where we do not feel confident in owning a certain narrative or owning a certain part multitude in our many multitudes or owning even a dream that we really want to make true, but talking about it scares the shit out of us. Borrowing confidence is basically other people in your life are going to see you, see you in a way that you don't see yourself. And these are in the DMs you get, the text messages, the emails, the random video someone records when someone's giving a toast about you that you can go back and reference so you can remind yourself not just of who you are, but who you you are becoming and to feel that confidence and to borrow it until you actually own it yourself. So in my hype file, there is this video (laughs) that it was actually taken at somebody else's like engagement party. But somehow this gentleman who's become a mentor to me was giving like talking about my parents, like my dad had just come through from an accident and whatnot and how amazing they are. But then he said, but their daughter, and he started just talking about me. 
And like, it wasn't even my parents who recorded this. It was some uncle who then like texted it to me. Was it Rakesh uncle? Because that would really help. <laughs> I wish it was Rakesh uncle, but <laughs> yeah. I do. I have, a, I have a couple nice texts from Taco Bell Rakesh uncle, like in my phone who I met as part of a Taco Bell project I did. But yeah, I have those. I have DMs from incredible people from Instagram who I'm very honored and privileged that follow and engage with the content I create. I have emails from brand partners who talk about how much they enjoyed working with me. I have this quote, like my friend took this video from South by earlier this year, where my friend Upasna, who's a leader at CNN says, I work at the world's biggest breaking news organization and hit the spy smart reads is what I start every day with. Oh, that's like, amazing. I'm like, can I put that on a t-shirt? Yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you can actually. Absolutely. So, Things like that. But then I also have like pictures of the kids, like artworks that say, I love you, mommy, and little drawings or letters that they've written me. I have pictures from the cards that my husband gives me for Mother's Day or my birthday, because he always takes the time to pick out a very sweet card and write a really nice message. And I really value that. I have some moments where I've like recorded my dad when he's like complimented something I'm doing at work. And I'm like, like wait, do that again. wait, rewind. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, so those are some of the things I have in my hype file. And I'll tell you, I have to still dig in there. I have to go in yeah. there a few times a week and in hard days every day and spend time in there just to remind myself of who I am versus Letting my negative self-talk kind of take over, which or we're versus all like, guilty of. Who I'm not? Like, what am I not? Exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. Or if well, I look, spend I... too much time scrolling on Instagram and I start feeling bad about myself, because that's exactly what the algorithm is designed to do. Yep. Because it great. keeps you on there for longer. So yes, it's fantastic. I love those hours I spend on that. Um, I mean, it's such a simple idea, but people, I love that you put it in your book that way, because we all do have these files everywhere, but. I've never thought about putting it together, you know? And so I was like, huh, that's a really good idea because I feel like, like you said, there's a point in every day where I'm like, ugh, like you're always, there's going to be an all, a little drop here and there, sometimes many drops, right? And so it's a genius and simple idea. And I just love, and I like the, I like the name. So kudos to your friend for, for putting, for coining that. The other part I loved, which was, from Kamala's mom was do something about it. Don't do it half-assed, which is what I am literally telling my girls all the time when it comes to school, career. I'm like, I don't care what you become. Just don't do it. You know, I don't say half-assed, but do it all the way. Go all the way. Be the best at that. If you want to be a ballerina, fine, but be the best. Like go all the way in. And it just hit me. The first thing I thought about was my kids. Mm -hmm. Do you talk to your kids about it? I do. But I also think a lot about, you know, when I was a kid, my mom, when people ask, what are you going to be when you grow up? I would have like a million different answers. Like I wanted to be, you know, a dancer, a fashion designer, a pop star. I had a phase where I wanted to be Mr. T from the A-team because I really liked all his jewelry. You and should have like, totally done that. You would have been, you would have been fantastic. <laughs> so all I want to do is like meet him one day. Like that is to Mike. That would be my biggest celebrity moment in life. Truly. <laughs> Okay, let's put it out Be there. Like, let's put it out there. Put it out there. Yes. Mr. T, if you're listening. Mr. T comes to Rakesh Uncle's collab with you at Taco Bell. <laughs> oh, my God. And all the jewelry. Like, he would be the best accessorized person there. I know. It's gonna be, this is going to be the best event ever. Okay. <gasps> <good to me. laughs> 
very excited about this. But anytime I would say any of these things, my mother would go, and a doctor. Like specifically a pediatrician who went to Harvard Medical School, which <laughs> totally back on it now. Yeah, yeah. But that and was so important because my to my mom, it was never you have to do one thing, but that you are capable of doing many things. And I think I added many a hyphen and an ampersand into my my professional career. But that was so empowering as a kid to hear about, to say, you don't have to do just one thing, but you're going to have to work really, really hard to get there. And you have to be mindful. And as time went on, you know, when I started looking at colleges and whatnot, my parents, I think very, and I'm, this is something I will do with my kids, is they frame higher education as an investment that they were making in my future, but also into society. And it wasn't enough to just study what I was interested in. There was certainly a place for that. But would I earn a degree that would earn me a career that would afford me the quality of life that I had grown up accustomed to, which was very nice? Thank you, mom and dad. And with that, they said, we're not paying for college unless you're getting a degree, earning a degree in like a field that can guarantee that. Now, go ahead and double major, triple major, take your time. But we want to make sure you earn that. So chemistry degree for mom and dad, history degree for me, but then also to save my GPA because I was not the best like student in those heavy duty science classes with all those competitive pre-med kids. So if it makes you feel better, I was supposed, uh, of course, pre-med. And I got to my freshman year, I went to UT Austin and I got to organic chem and then I was pretty much done. <laughs> I was like, huh, I suck at math and science. And the mo- by the way, the more I'm doing the podcast, I'm meeting more and more people like you and me that are like, mm-hmm. math's not so much. And I'm, it's actually clearing up a lot of my PTSD from growing up thinking I was the only <laughs> Indian not good at math or science. So thank you for helping me out with that. I appreciate it. But yeah, I was also, but I think going back to your parents and, and growing up really quick, and we're going to talk about that as well. Um, I think it is very unique for your parents to encourage that because a lot of our parents, not because they didn't want to, but they didn't know how to encourage encourage a multi-hyphenate, multi right? So it was very much like focus, focus, focus on one thing. And I read in the Forbes article that, that you had interviewed on that you had said, told um, the interviewer, you're like, there is a saying in Hindi, lo kya kehenge, like what will people say? And the fact that your parents, and that's such, like that's all our parents, right? So many of our parents thought that way. And the fact that yours didn't is, is a huge gift. And I think helped you towards this path that you've been on, right? And so I think, again, not actually common, especially back then. Mm-hmm. And with for that, parents like that, and how that's influenced my parenting is, With my kids, there is the, I know what you're capable of. I am never going to push you to some arbitrary standard, but I know what you're capable of. Right. So I care to see effort and improvement. The other stuff doesn't matter. And how to nurture also multiple passions within them, because unlike me, they are, Ro is especially very good at math. Nice, nice. One of them has to be, right? One of them has to be. But like me, he doesn't check his work very well. So now I'm like, okay, so how do I teach him how to do checking and follow up and the little things like that? Because it's not the mastery of the material I have to worry about. So when we do things, little things, like if he's helping with the dishwasher, I'm like, did you check the sink? 
I'm just trying to introduce checking, like one last look, one last scan as part of things and other habits. So maybe filters into the skills I want him to cultivate. I also have this sense, like now, my kids will learn math. They will read, they will write, they will do all the things they're expected to academically. It's the social emotional that I care so much more about. Are you kind? Are you a good listener? Do you know how to have a conversation that feels like an equal exchange? Are you, how do you genuinely be interested in other people? How do we focus on experiences and learning about the world through living it, not out of a book that I care so much more about than I do about grades and that type of stuff. So that's what I'm far more focused on in this chapter of my life as like a parent, especially in that kind of little kid, medium-aged kid, like pre-preteen kind of thing, because I don't know how adolescence and puberty and all of that is going to just throw us all over. Yeah. (laughs) My nine-year-old girl is already turning it. I'm already scared. There's already been discussions and we'll talk about it offline. I'm like sweating. (laughs) But 100% with you on focusing, like you said, we're lucky that our kids are going to get the education that we want them to have. But we have the capacity and the understanding, perhaps that a lot of our parents who immigrated here didn't have, to protect that social and emotional concepts in their lives and their experiences growing up a little bit more than our parents were able to, which is not no one's fault. It, it, it is what it is. And so, yes, I've, I've heard too many stories of my girlfriend's kids who are now in high school just going through shit. You know, and so that actually to me is scarier than, oh, great. They didn't get to an Ivy League. Who cares? (laughs) My husband and I, neither one of us went to an Ivy League school. University of Washington's a wonderful institution, but Lord knows if my kid can even get in by the time. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That time rolls around. This college, I mean, I went to UT Austin and now apparently it's in Paul. I was like, how, what's happening to these college? I was like, is this going to be necessary in 10 years? Because save us a couple bucks. It's fine. I'm going to very much encourage gap years, especially if I don't think they're emotionally mature enough to like handle the rigors of school and whatnot to take it seriously. And I'm going to be like, go work for a couple of years. It's totally okay. I know you'll go back, but like, I'm not spending tens of thousands of dollars, probably hundreds yep. to send you to go party like I did and not <laughs> take it seriously. <laughs> to get my economics degree, even though I was bad at math. I was like, what am I doing exactly with my life? Anyways, lots, mm. lots of questions. Um, <laughs> the other two areas that I want to go over, eating no for breakfast, taking care of yourself. I, I, I think all women can attest to this. I think that has been my biggest challenge, even in my lovely young 40s. I'm learning just now to say no to stuff. I always want to say yes. I am like, I am realizing I have to take care of myself. If I, if it's not for myself, it's at least for my kids. Like something has to encourage me. So I've recently really started saying no. How has your journey been with saying no to things? I mean, bad. Hence <laughs> yeah. my five gazillion yes. jobs and whatnot. Yes. Yeah. Last Summer and now I've been pretty open about my own mental health roller coasters. I had two pretty bad depressive episodes, one last August, one in December, that really forced me to just be like, clearly the way I've been living is not working. And so a lot of work with my therapist and a psychiatrist and medication help to just reframe what I want for life. 
And it really was, I really think this approach worked for me, which was what do I want? Like me as a person first, then it was in my relationships and then came profession. And now I have a lot of luxury and privilege to be able to prioritize them that way. And I think it's important we acknowledge it when we have that privilege because we are not all starting off at the same starting line. And I think those with privilege need to take the onus and normalize this part of the conversation quite a bit more. So that preface aside, the things I want to do is I love making an impact in the work I do, both in pharmaceuticals and in content and in writing books. But I don't want to be all in all the time. Like I really pushed myself through a pretty severe burnout in just pushing, pushing, pushing relentlessly. Similarly, in wanting to feel fulfilled and like I'm contributing and making an impact at work, the desire to just spend more time at home and be with my kids and be with my husband and be with my parents because who knows how long I have left with them also really came up as a part of that. And from there, I kind of also said, I love my friends and nurturing friendships, but I'm at a point in my life where I love to see go out maybe once a week, sometimes twice a week, last week being the exception, that's my max. And then to have my nights at home where I'm watching a show with my husband, where I am falling asleep in my kid's bed, or when my husband's doing his thing and I'm doing my thing. Yes, totally. All of it. And having that. So it took me a pretty lengthy exercise and it's still a work in progress to come to this sort of, how do I say no? Because I know what I'm saying yes to. Right. And then the yes has become so much sweeter, right? Exactly. So much sweeter, so much more valuable. I have a post on my Instagram feed about this of like the three things that it requires me to take yes. Like, is it going to move the needle in some tangible way? And does it fit within these boundaries I have set for myself? Because the do I want to do it? I want to do everything. I want it all. Especially in New York City. Exactly. (laughs) However, there are times and places where all is just not possible. So listen, last week was out every every day or night. And I knew I was going to do that because I was spending the six weeks before recovering from surgery. And so I did want to cram it all in before my family and I go and have that full on focus family time. So I thoroughly enjoyed myself. But that also was I was mindful about I'm really not going to drink because Lord knows I can't wake up in the morning and get the kids off to camp and get my work done. So there was also if I'm saying yes, what am I also doing in that yes to protect my peace and to protect my boundaries and the choices I make? And that felt really good as well. Yeah, no, I am on the same train, although it's a little it's been a little easier for me because of course, there's stuff happening in Dallas, but for me, I've lived in New York City, the New York City area twice. I just get so hyped up there, that city. I so know. like, it's the energy is palpable. It's palpable. Like, there's just so much going on. There's things going on here, and it's it's it is fun. And Dallas is definitely more exciting. So no hate on Texas at all, but it has been easier for me to unplug a little bit more here and focus more on my on my family for sure. And so. I know how tough it is to say no to New York City, especially with everything that you're doing. And especially with all these amazing South Asian events going on all over the city, right? I feel like we're just in a boom everywhere. And so good for you for protecting your peace. It's so, so important. And I, I, feel, I feel healthier just in a couple of months of doing it. 
And then the other, uh, we kind of talked about your husband and my husband, but wait for your Doug. I love that. I love that. Whatever your Doug may mean. And I, you know, I sound like an auntie now and, and you may be an auntie with me, but just in the book you mentioned, and we all know this, the most important relationship is the relationship with yourself. But the second most important really is that partner you end up with. If you want a partner, you know, if that's your choice, but my husband and I could not be more opposite. I'm not sure how you guys are. And there are, of course, there are tough days, weeks, and months, but I would not be able to be where I'm at or have grown as much as I've grown if it weren't for my Doug. And I'm assuming that's the same for you. I feel very much the same way. My husband and I met when we were 25. Both of us were in like major transitions. He had just started business school. I had just started working with my father for the first time. And it really does feel like everything we have built thus far in the 14 years we've been together, we built it together. Like I very much view his accomplishments as mine and vice versa. And we've built this incredible life together and truly If you want to be in a relationship, who your partner is, is going to be one of the biggest factors in your professional success as well, because you need someone. And I think Erotsky's fair play method is a huge, huge tool to help ensure things stay fair and to also help you define what fair is in your household. And knowing we all coming at it from different places, we all have different financial cushions or time cushions that factor in how we deal our decks. But thank goodness for, thank goodness for Serene. Thank God for my husband. I'm so grateful for him. And like, I just cannot be more thankful that (laughs) I have this whole like little manifestation list that I wrote for right before I met him that my, like, I'll straight up tell you this story. Yeah, I love it. When I was 25, I read The Secret, like right after my birthday, and I was very skeptical. But then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to manifest something ridiculous. I'm going to manifest a husband. (laughs) I love that. And then I was actually thought about it. I'm like, well, why do I want to manifest a husband? And I really felt at that point, like I'd been dating around a lot. I really was ready for something settled. I was ready to just build a life with someone. As much fun as I was having, I was like, "Eh, I'm kind of over this a bit. So I wrote a list of qualities that I thought would be would be right for me as a partner, as kind of the book recommends. But then I said, I've dated this guy before and clearly something's not working. So let me get feedback on my manifestation list from the people in my life who know me well and will give me honest feedback, but also have the kinds of relationships I envy or I want for myself. So I went to... My cousin's like my brother. His wife is my sister-in-law. So I went to her and I showed her the list and I explained to her what I was doing. And she, one, laughed because she thought it was absurd. And she's even more of a skeptic than I am. But then she read the list and she ripped it up. She goes, that was your parents' list. That is not your list. So she made me rewrite it, like, I think, like five different times. But the one thing she kept emphasizing is the problem with all the people you've dated up till now has been... You are look, you keep going for the settled guy, the guy who's like, insert wife here into my life. And you need to build a life with someone. So stop going after the older settled guys and look for the guy that's your age, but has like a maturity. 
about him is like goofy and silly like your brother is and just like comes from a tight knit fa- like those right. are the things you should and be a growth, about. That's a growth mindset with you. Huge growth mindset. And my list was like makes obscure nerdy jokes like about Gattaca. Like that was on the list. <laughs> That's very specific, my like friend. Like, it was weirdly specific, but, like, he dropped a Gattaca joke, like, in, like, the first night we uh, met. I did actually put on the list because I just know it would make my life easier with my mother. She wanted a South Indian Brahmin boy. Okay. I said South Indian Brahmin and the subcast of Brahmin that my mom is because I'm like, if you're manifesting, you may as Marshall well manifest man, yeah. it. Just go all the way. But then right underneath that, family is not at all religious. They're cool. And I don't have to do pujas all the time. Like, like laid back Brahmins. Like, I'll give what my mom wants on paper, but what I need yeah, in reality. Yeah, behind, behind is, the scenes, we're going to be doing our own thing. Which right. is exactly like my mother-in-law. We go to yoga class and we go drink mimosas together. It's great. Good. Good balance. <laughs> Brahmin and then not Brahmin. It's fine. Exactly. But then literally I had this list and I said, okay, cool. And I tucked it in the book and I put the book on my bookshelf and I forgot about it. And like a month later, I met three. That's amazing. I, look, I don't think any of this is hokey. I totally believe in all this stuff. But and, and it's kind of funny. So the quick parallels. I also met my husband and then he left for business school like right that year. He did what you did. He wrote out manifestations on paper. Oh, like he's very much like that. Interesting. I know. <laughs> so I was like, wait a minute. Did you guys talk? And then we met like a couple months later, right after that. He wrote down a list and he showed it to me like a little bit later. Just like in every marriage, there's one person who loads the dishwasher like a Swedish architect and the other uh-huh. one like a feral raccoon. Uh-huh. There's always one like a manifester and the uh-huh. other is the poof. Here I am. Yeah. Generated. I'm, I'm the poof. and But I'm also the Nazi uh, dishwasher person. So, yes, definitely. Uh, that's why I was like, wow, you wrote that out. I got to tell you. I gotta, I'll share my husband. I'm sure he won't mind. It's been so long. <laughs> Whatever. It's been 14 years. He loves me enough. No, I totally believe in that. And I, yeah, we are very lucky to find our dogs. And so I just, yeah, I love that chapter and made me feel all gooey and mushy. And I'm glad you have your dog. So yay. I was in a very gooey, mushy place when I was yeah. reading it because I was like hearing the screams and I am like, <laughs> you're like, should I write a chapter man. about my husband to make it up for him? Maybe I should. I just was like, bless <laughs> this man. I have totally found my dog and yes. I have to say, totally so okay so just to round out the book i know you met kamala harris yeah what what does she say about it like how was it well the first time i met her it was well before this ever happened so she was still running for president i had a few minutes to chat with her it was she's wonderful she's wonderful the second time it was a photo call so i literally shake hands take your picture and you walk away okay got it so it was very quick but um my cousin actually met her a couple weeks later and he's like, she's like, oh, I met your sister. And like, apparently she was very nice about it. And then that was very sweet. So I'm glad. And, you know, it's, I hate the press narrative about the vice president and the vice president in person. Granted, I met her a couple of times. It is not like I'm a close personal friend of hers, but the disconnect is so vast and it is so engineered to generate this disdain or dislike of this person where the narrative has become so powerful because she challenges what we viewed as power. 
She challenges everything we, most people have accepted to be true about what politics looks like, what politics can do, what it can't do, who a politician is, who a leader is, etc. And I'm heartened to see that spitfire, powerful, the Kamala, I know the also very funny and disarming one, kind of emerge again after, you know, being beat up in the press and having gone through multiple cycles of the buildup, the anointment, the teardown, and then the disappearance, and then over and over again. But this whole time she's been working. She's been getting things done. She's gotten companies to invest in Central America and to shore up local asylum policies to reduce unplanned migration. She's been on the forefront of reproductive rights, working with states on clever proposals, championing ballot measures in states like Ohio and Florida and showing up in those states over and over again to show that just because the tyranny of the minorities defining policy, that there is still public will to challenge that. And so I get extremely frustrated when I hear that, well, I just don't like her. Or I liked her then, but I don't like her now because I go, you bought into this. Well, it's it's based on, if you don't really dig in and look into what she's doing, like what you've done, then there's just, the media is not only negative, they're just, they have disconnected us with her. And so there just feels like, oh, what is she doing? Right? Like, it feels like that just because they aren't highlighting the few things you you even mentioned, and I'm sure there's a ton more. And there's so, this, so much more. This disconnect with her as a female makes it, her feel cold, right? And like not like well known, and it's sad. It sucks. Well, it's a tired playbook, but it also is because of her many multitudes. She's harder to put into a box, and she's harder to shrink into that. You are sort of the Phyllis Schlafly or you're the Gloria Steinem when it comes to being a woman leader, because the men who run our media companies are still very much writing and reporting on women leaders with those two archetypes. I mean, how can there be another category? Shocking. (laughs) Really tough, guys. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Well, this is why we need people like you to write these books. And so, <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad you you got to meet her and congrats on the book. It's amazing. Thank I you. will definitely post everything on all the socials about it. I know quickly you wrote How to Pack, which I loved <laughs> the idea of it. I did not get to get it, but I need to ask you two pieces of advice. I need to get new luggage. Do you have any luggage that you would recommend? Listen, what kind of person, well, what kind of person are you? Do you tend to stuff your suitcase so much that you either need expanders? Do you have you dented hard case luggage to the point that you don't like how it looks all beaten up or it bothers you? So therefore you'd want soft case. Okay. Do you do you like pushing it neatly beside you or are you a dragger? Neatly beside me. Okay. You want the Briggs and Riley baseline carry on four wheel. Oh my God. Are you like AI? How did you get that? That's amazing. <laughs> I've done this a lot. <laughs> I just went went through this with my husband and we just did a little getaway and he had just come from a trip and he just was going, he goes, I love my new suitcase so much. I love this so much. And he's picky. And by the way, my brother who travels like 200,000 miles a year, he has that same suitcase and loves it. And they have the best warranty. So that's the last suitcase you'll ever buy. Truly. 
Okay, so besides Taco Bell sponsoring you and Wawa, like, <laughs> you need luggage companies. That was, like, insane. So I was looking through your Instagram for, I didn't know if you had any luggage stuff on there, but I was like, you know, I, I really, just for myself, selfishly, I'm just going to ask her to do the interview because I'm trying to find something at this yeah. point and don't know what to get. Okay. I'll email you the You're link. Amazing. I got you. I got you. <laughs> Love this. Amazing. And then really quickly, I know you did the consulting yeah. thing. You flew like a billion miles. <laughs> I'm already going to assume the answer to this, but because it was such a big part of your life, any mm -hmm. part that you miss about it? Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. <laughs> a word, got it. I mean, I would just, if I was going to be on the road like that again, I would want my own like TV show. I don't want to be doing it to like... We should do a TV show. Sorry, so many ideas. We'll just keep throwing... We should just have me fly around to Taco Bells all over the country and the world. Totally. And to throw Daisy parties. And I'll just I'll follow you and interview everyone around, and it'll be amazing. <laughs> and then Mr. T, we no. are going to have a show with Taco Bell and no, Mr. T. No, you know what? T. It needs to be called Let's Talk About It, and I just interview people over Taco like the hot wings chicken thing. Yeah, exactly. But, like, but and then in you get, Taco Bells. In Taco Bells. In Taco Bells. This. Like, I would want to interview a Velvis impersonator who performs weddings at the Vegas Taco Bell. I don't know why this is not happening. I right, want to right, interview Steph Curry at the Taco Bell on, in Pacifica and his wife. Actually, I care, care more about interviewing his wife, Aisha. Yeah, she's hot, too. That helps. <laughs> I mean, there is a writer's strike, so they need more writers right now. So maybe this can actually happen. I mean, God bless the writers. I hope they win, but still. Oh, great. I know. This is going to have, this is. Taco Bell, call me. This is be unscripted. Feel like we can start a production company at this point. Just saying. Uh, no. we, we and then <laughs> the person I really want to interview over Taco Bell is Lala from Vanderpump Rules in LA. Very random and oh. love it. <laughs> I love Vanderpump. <laughs> I haven't watched it yet. I need to watch it. Okay. So the last season, and like, I'll tell you why, like, this is another reason why I love reality TV. It's the first time on a reality show where you saw a bad man actually have to pay consequences for his bad actions. You saw a woman's anger actually be validated and frankly celebrated in that, like, yes, of course she was wrong. And you saw that the loud, obnoxious women are always right. Don't mess okay. with us. Okay. This is like a whole, this is like a TV show for the future. This is amazing. Uh, it just kind of gave me faith. <laughs> I was like, yes, we are evolved. Society is healing, maybe. <laughs> Society's healing Vanderpump. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, You've convinced I, me. I'm all, I'm down with reality shows. It's, it's, I just got to know so which good. ones. Also do the watch list for Vanderpump to just get caught up on Scandal. But I would say watch seasons nine and 10. Drive to Survive, Vanderpump Bags. Okay, all three. I'm going to write these down. The Five Smart Reads. And then also you have Five Smart Habits now, right? Yeah, that's been my own thing for a while. Okay. But I realized like for the people who get overwhelmed by the what should my morning routine be, I'll be like, here you go. Here's a little stack. You sure. could just, just take it. Just, just take it and go. Choose. Take it. Exactly. On the house. Yeah. I have like a really fun one coming up this week that's like centered on my nerdy love for pop punk music and that I'm seeing Fall Out Boy tomorrow and I'm very excited. How like, fun! Me seeing Fall Out Boy is like everybody else's Beyonce and Taylor Swift. <laughs> that's amazing. That well, by, I just want. I mean, I love Taylor Swift. I'm doing it for my girls. Mm -hmm. I actually would probably be more excited about Fall Out Boy, but. 
Taylor Swift will be fine. It'll be all good. Very exciting. Please post videos of that. That's amazing. I will. I'm going through my new wave year. So I'm going to go. I saw New Order this year. I'm going to go see Depeche Mode. And then U2 is not really new wave, but going to go see U2. I, I'm like revisiting everyone I can possibly before anything else happens to them. Because, you know, I'm the, I'm the new wave rock girl. So I'm like, I need to see these people, even though they're 85 years old. It's fine. So really quickly, and then of course, hit that on the go. I'll, I will link that to my notes. I know your CEO of Roshan Pharmaceuticals. This is, I can't believe you're a CEO and an author and all this stuff. This is insane and crazy. And I know you also had a startup that you learned lessons from. I don't want to say the world failed because it's not the world fa- word failed at all. It's a startup. It happens. Quickly, if you can tell me what lessons you learned from your first startup that is helping you now as CEO. How to spend money wisely and how to stretch a buck. Hire against your weaknesses. So I think we had a little bit of everybody doing a little bit of everything. So I really made sure I know what my best, my core competency is and to hire to fill that. So one of the first things I did when we closed the licensing deal was hired my old head of ops from Sidos, our last company, to join us at Roshan to just manage business finances, vendor management, all of that. And she truly is just the best person I've ever worked with. I think for any early stage company, hire a good lawyer. Your lawyer will like make or break. But if you feel like you're being kind of like disrespected or pandered to with your lawyer, go find another one. Like life is too short. And that's you need people. That's great advice because people don't talk about that. No. And like our first law firm just wasn't a fit for us. What I did was I called around to friends and I said, I actually swung for the fences and I went to like this huge, two huge big law firms. Both of them said, listen, you're on the border of what we really do, but you're going to spend way too much money on us. And it's not a good use of your cash. But here is a firm that handles your size companies primarily, and they're fantastic. And both of them recommended this firm. So I was like, oh, okay. Like, I trust you guys. And then when I met one of the um, partners at that firm, it was like, I just felt supported. I felt heard. I felt validated. And honestly, like when you're negotiating anything like a licensing deal or internal challenges, whatnot, you need a good lawyer because that will make or break your business. It really that makes will. me so feel so much better for, you know, a retired lawyer <laughs> practice for like four years. So I don't, I'm kind of a fake lawyer at this point, but still that's nice. Like it's a good, good point of view. Cause no one talks about lawyers. I write gushy LinkedIn or endorsements for my lawyers because Aww. I'm like, I'm so grateful for that. <laughs> that's amazing. I love that. I love that tidbit. That's, I haven't heard that in 120 episodes. So for startups, like we talk about all the other stuff, but I actually go, like, I think our law firm, especially in the past couple of years have been like the reason we have like accelerated and done, we're able to do such great work. That's awesome. You know, I, I know we've talked a little bit about your family. Obviously you're working with your dad, which is the cutest, the best thing ever. I quickly want to talk to you about South Asian. It's a South Asian podcast. So your South Asian identity. And I love this question because obviously our childhood our childhood stories and experiences come with us as we age. Can you think of a story growing up that maybe defined who you were as a South Asian? Maybe, you know, were you ever embarrassed about being Indian? Was there a point where you're like, God, I love being, you know, Indian? Was there anything in childhood that kind of was like, oh, wow, I am 
different, but in a cool way or a bad way. Someone in third grade realized that my name sounded an awful lot like hit the pile of poo. Wow. Did not know that was coming. Okay. (laughs) And then being a brown girl whose last name ended with poo was just. Wow. It cultivated resilience. That third grader was really looking into that, huh? I really hope he's like running an ad agency somewhere because now I just can't be mad about it. I'm like, that's really clever. That is pretty clever. It's really clever. It's me. Yeah. But it's clever. So then were you like, oh shit, I hate this? I really was because like at the time being South Asian just wasn't cool. It was weird and different. You were, there weren't a whole lot of us. So there was like this, well, what are you? Like you're not black, you're not white. Yeah. That was the moment where I just realized that I can't rely on society to tell my story and I'm going to have to figure out how to tell it myself. But it did then launch kind of like varying waves of being extremely proud of my heritage and like wanting nothing to do with it and wanting to just lean into Americanness. And I will say, I'm just grateful for that journey because without the moments of being so proud, wanting nothing to do with it, somewhere in between, it really, I think, helped me by the time I became a mom and thought a lot about what from our culture, what are some values, what are some rituals and traditions I want to have with my kids? What do I want them to know about their culture that I had had enough lived experiences in both sides and kind of vacillating between the two to really come at some things that felt good and authentic for me. And of course there are things I do because it makes my mom happy, like certain pujas and whatnot. And at this point in my life, I just want to make my mom happy. Like she doesn't ask for a lot. So it's nothing feels weird or out of, nothing makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. You're doing what you're comfortable with. Right. No, completely. And I agree with you on the twist and turns. And I don't believe in this whole American born confused this. I feel like we're actually very lucky to have both. And I think it's just a fun navigation through it. And looking back now, obviously going through it, you're like, oh, what am I? Blah, blah, blah. But like your parents, my parents made me go to Hindu camp every summer, Monday, every Sunday. You know, we lived in a very white neighborhood outside of Houston. So, so same journey. But man, we are lucky to have both. And we're lucky to be that first generation right after our parents to come here because we are so close to them and, and they are so close to our culture. And I am trying to do the same for my kids. I don't, doing a terrible job, I feel like. But yeah, I don't ever think we were confused. I think it's just, yeah, more lucky, more curious, if more than I'm anything else. Great, and that yeah, C yeah. should be for curious, but I'm also grateful that I was given the space to define it on my own terms versus having either a narrative thrust on me. Right. Either by people on the outside or my parents. And it just, I got to define it for myself. Totally. And I got to tell you, This third grade story, you are like my 30th guest that had issues in second and third grade. I had my, mine was third grade too. So I don't know what's up with third grade. And his name was Justin. I'm still trying to find him. I don't know his last name, but if he's ever listening, I'll let you know, homie, I started a podcast because of you. I think mine was John. (laughs) Ah, John and Justin. John and Justin. I'm pretty sure I had a crush on him too. So that didn't help. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably what it was. It was like a mix of... My first broken heart and then him making fun of my name. And so I was like, oh, it was Ummy Dummy. I mean, that wasn't, uh, he definitely doesn't deserve an ad agency. I was like, <laughs> come on, dude. Think, think more. God. I expect more from my crush. I know. Forget it. We're never getting married. God. 
I don't think he ever liked me though. It's fine. I'm going to go for it slow. I'm going to go for it. Okay. We're going to do a quick fast round. So whatever, sure. whatever the first word is, and then I promise I'll let you go. Okay. What personality trait are you most proud of? My willingness to make an ass of myself. <laughs> That's kind of mine. So I love it. We're going to have to dance together one day. Describe yourself in one word. Eclectic. What is your biggest pet peeve? People who take their shoes and socks off in an airplane. Like, please don't do that. That's disgusting. Ew, and like what? put their Why? feet up on like a window or on the seat. No, no, I don't want to see your feet. This is not only fans. Keep them, put them away. But why? Why is that even happening? I don't. Why? People oh, are not God. well. No. People are not well. You know what? It's probably Justin and John. <laughs> it's probably Justin and John. It's probably those two guys, man. Okay, you have a minute. You, you can think about this one. And if you don't have an answer, totally fine. Tell me about an interesting experience or encounter that you have not shared with anyone. I've shared this publicly. I've just shared it with a couple people, but it was like, it was, it was memorable. Um, a couple years ago, I was on a flight to Miami. I had hurt my neck. So like, I couldn't really like turn very well. So I sit down on my seat. I'm just like working. And then this white dude sits next to me and I'm just like, whatever this I'm working on my deck. He's reviewing a deck. And he just glances over and he's like, that's a good looking deck. And I'm like, thank you. And I go, yours is awful. <laughs> and then I was like, yours looks boring. He's like, I'm on the board. It's oil and gas. It's not exciting. I said, that's fine. And then I realized that the flight attendant was super attentive. And I was just like, damn, Delta, like you are way better than like United. Nice. Like come through. Turns out I was sitting next to Jeb Bush the entire time and it wasn't Delta. It's that like a major political like leader and scion from a family was my seat neighbor. But like I left him alone and I was chill and like everyone else in the cabin was like, like, oh my God, like, and I just was like, you must have been really into your deck. Also, it was my first, like, I had just had Rocky, what, like, four or five months before. I was like, I'm okay. going on this girl's getaway to Miami. So, like, I was out, and my neck was hurting. So, I'm like, I was out of it, and I was not paying attention. But I was just like, oh, that was Jeff Bush, and he was lovely. Yeah, all right. I love, love, love that, dude. You're like, yeah, yours is not so much, dude. Yours is, <laughs> yours is vanilla. Yours is too vanilla. White guy. You needed some exclamation point. Yeah, you need, you need, some, you need, you need some South Asian color in there. It's fine. <laughs> but he, he was a just, he was a very nice gentleman Aww. and like dealt with people staring at him weirdly very well. I don't think I could handle it because I would be like, can you stop? Like, yeah. Can you stop? Oh, he probably loved it. How do you want to be remembered by the people around you? I want to be remembered for making people feel seen and heard and held with love. Okay. I already know this answer, so I'm going to answer it for you, but you can tell me if I'm wrong. Okay. Ultimate collaboration. Well, Mr. T? Mr. Taco T? Bell and Mr. T to launch. Let's talk about it. Okay. Done. So we're going to put it out there. I'm going to put it in my <laughs> notes. Just want to make sure we're on the same page before I announce this. So, mm-hmm. all right. Last question. A lot of people have the same answer. I'm fine with it. But if you think of anything, it doesn't have to be deep. Okay. If it all goes awry, what are your bare bones for happiness? My family, a roof over my head, walking distance to a library and a Taco Bell. <laughs> no one has mentioned the Taco Bell, so I mean, I this love, is going in. <laughs> I love. Makes me happy. Brings me it joy. Does. You know why I went to the Monday every Sunday? So you get a Taco Bell after? 
That was Every me. And, Sunday. That was me and Bert the Natium classes. Oh my God, Bert Natium classes. Jesus Christ. I, I think I had, did my Udingitrum because of how much Taco Bell I had imbibed and was promised. Afterwards. At least you got to the Rangatham. I quit like a year before and my still to this day, my dad is talking about it. I was like, I married <laughs> a Guju guy that went to Ivy League schools and you're still mad about this shit. Like I did everything you asked me to do. And he was like, you never finished. I was like, did you see me up there? I was terrible. <laughs> I think if they got me Taco Bell, it would have helped for sure. Mom knew. <laughs> Tuckered Out is hosted by me, Ami Tucker. This episode is produced by Jeannie Media with Jeannie Saraswathi, Ashley Tuff, Micah Sweetman, Hans Andres, and Laura Radescu. You can follow me at Tuckered Out Podcast on Instagram. And please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts.